Hey everybody, it's Joe from Every Month Madness and we're going to start tonight's episode by just giving you a quick little disclaimer that, um, boy, everybody really came together to work hard for this one. This is an episode that uh, we are very proud of and um, I'm very grateful to uh, Marissa from Jersey Ghouls, but especially for Josh and Joe from Fright School for um, just all of the insights and the very thoughtful commentary. Um, the show is just chock full of information for anybody interested in these kinds of issues or just, you know, just to look at culture um, through a lens, whether it's a lens that you're very used to seeing through or it's one that you are, um, you know, need to learn a little bit more about. I'm just very happy with um, this discussion and where it went. It is uh, both fun and very, very informative. So um, I'm just really grateful for everybody involved. I wanted to take a minute to especially thank everybody who participated in this episode. Thank you for listening to it. And also to let you know that we will be back in two weeks for the first of our summer episodes. And we'll be welcoming the amazing Kristen Curtis from WXPN. She's the uh, morning drive time DJ over there. Um, most of you probably know and love her, just a fountain of knowledge about music. And we are going to be talking about 90s no-hit wonders. So please come back and join us in two weeks. Press subscribe, follow, give us a like. And we are really helped out by writing us a review uh, wherever you listen to podcasts, um, primarily Apple Music. We'd really appreciate anybody who's willing to do that for us. Um, there were a couple of books mentioned in today's episode and uh, we're going to make sure to go ahead and link those for you in the show notes. And also, don't forget to always check the show notes for our finalized bracket. Some people have been giving us feedback that it gets hard to follow along because the bracket is such a visual mechanism. So I just want to remind our listeners that the brackets are always up in the show notes, and they're there in every iteration. So we have an uh, opening bracket and a midway point bracket and then a final bracket so you can get a sense of what the final outcomes were. All right, thanks for being here tonight and uh, we thank you so much for your support. So without further ado. Yeah, baby. Welcome to Every Month Madness, the show that knows any month is a great month to take your favorite pop culture and hit it against itself in a winner-take-all NCAA-style bracket where only one thing is left standing. I'm Joe Costal, and I'll be your host this month when we welcome the boys from Fright School to have the complicated discussion about queer-coded cartoon characters and which one will be left as the ultimate representation in our every month madness bracket let's tip it off baby this is going to be an every month madness first we are in our second episode of our queer coded cartoon characters but i am going to recommend to you dear listener that you go back to the previous episode because joining me tonight are just a, a, an all-star cast of podcasters, usually in the horror genre, but they're breaking out today. They're coming up like Diana Ross, and they are doing queer-coded cartoon characters with me. We have Marissa Pona from the Jersey Ghouls, Marisa. Oh, hello. Also the executive producer of Every Month Madness and every That's podcast right. on the Three Crones Network. And Yay. I have Joshua and Joe from the best school, The Fright School. Gentlemen, <laughs> yeah, oye, papi, papi chulo, papi chulo. So I, I think there is no way, and I, I hope you guys, my guest hosts, agree with me. There is just no way for us to recreate the introduction that we did in the previous episode. So if this is your first time listening to Every Month Madness, you really need to go back, 
Queer coding is a complicated and nuanced social issue that deserves a lot of time and attention. And I think we do an okay job of giving it that. But in this episode, we're going to jump right into the madness of our bracket. Is that fair enough, everyone? Yes. Yes. I'm so excited to get back to exposing my own internalized homophobia. (laughs) (laughs) It's wonderful. Wow, so yeah, if that's not an autobiography chapter, Joshua, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> that's some autobiography chapter in like every queer person's. <laughs> right. Interrogating um, it, you know, kind of yeah. trying to uh, figure out how. Right to... next to that is decolonizing my desire. Why I stopped dating white men. Like, <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to my TED Talk. Yeah, welcome to my TED Talk. In this essay, I will. <laughs> okay, awesome. So what we did was we took 32 of the um, of classically queer-coded cartoon characters. We put them in a ridiculous hierarchy of a ranking between, between in four different um, brackets ranked between one and eight based on how many Google hits they get. And then we had our amazing panel of guest hosts and judges decide which of the characters would be the ultimate. And by ultimate, we had a really sketchy definition of what we were going for. Um, we actually were doing a combination of like, you know, most um, earnestly and authentically representative. Is that fair? But also just who we think is coolest. Is that right, you yeah. guys? Yeah. We're, we're, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, being queer is all about image, uh, obviously. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> As is everything. All right. Who has the best shoes? And by best, I do mean the most expensive. <laughs> <laughs> and that's why Alphaba is still here. All right. So if you want to see the bracket so you can play along at home, the best thing to do is to go to our show notes at everymonthmadness.transistor.fm and click on um, episode five, field of 16. We are in the sweet 16 rounds of our queer coded cartoon characters. So we're going to jump right in. Now, in case you missed the last episode, we had four characters based on their Google popularity that got buys to the second round. One of those characters is in our first bracket here, as we, my panel of judges, have to decide who moves on between number one seated Bugs Bunny of Bugs Bunny and the Looney Tunes world uh, against a slam dunk winner in the first round, Maleficent. Joshua? Bugs Bunny? Oh. <laughs> um, damn. Man, they have to put those two up against each other? That's how you do it. Yeah, us? that's a weird pairing to start off. Um, isn't it? But that's okay. That's the point. That's them's the rules. Um, and I'm still going to go with Maleficent. <laughs> 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 All right. My Joe. Joe. What do you say? I mean, I I want it to be controversial. I want to be controversial, but I can't because it's Maleficent. Like, <laughs> again, it's it's Maleficent. You know, Bugs yeah. Bugs but Bunny let's chat, is. Let's yeah. chat about yeah. Bugs Bunny because it's Bugs Bunny has come There's up a, a lot, lot recently, especially when people are like talking about like you know the more overt like. Um, um, examples of queerness in like modern television and people you know uh oh i can't believe this and that people get all outraged and stuff and then it's like i watch bugs bunny put on a dress and kiss elmer fudd all the time <laughs> like you know right. like that he was such this uh and it's really funny because it's like i never 
conceptualize that like as a kid you know I just never thought of him in that way I so yeah I I think that's been a fascinating discussion in culture lately with like exactly how queer I think was who's the who's the the voice in the um what's his name Mel Blanc Mel Blanc Mel Blanc Blanc. there's like some old interview with him saying that um uh, Bugs Bunny could be considered trans or now you know and then now it could be like gender fluid but like the language has shifted since what his yeah conversation was is that am I remembering that correctly so his son actually published an entire book about uh oh, wow about it's called uh Bugs and Elmer a forbidden love and if you guys don't mind indulging me I have an amazing quote from it that I think captures why we're we should definitely spend a moment on this it says well, we love academia so take it I know I'm so sorry I was like boy you guys are lucky I didn't have more time to do more research for this episode because I'd be bored the shit out of you um it says you have to remember that this was Hollywood of the golden age even before Rock Hudson the studio just wouldn't allow it instead Bugs and Elmer expressed their love for each other using homosexual codes of the day Elmer pointing a gun at Bugs, Bugs responding with a squirt of seltzer in his face. Those, and how did they not mention the carrot? Those in the closeted gay community clearly knew that Bugs was famous for What's Up Doc. We knew what was happening. It was the password to get into, uh, get entry into the notorious Hammer Club on Sunset Strip. So this blew my mind, like that it was as overt as it was in their eyes, even though it was so coded for the rest of us. But yeah, right? I mean, he was certainly my first exposure to like, fluidity with gender and you know that stuff so like drag you know that sort of idea in in a in a limited well you know not limited but in a uh you know in a um what's what's the word i'm looking for um simpler maybe way i'm trying i'm thinking of some scientific term that's not coming to me so whatever forget it edit this out (laughs) no and and but also that he won right that he that he was able to be the protagonist that that the the gender fluidity or what back then might have been known as androgyny like what that won the day and 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 he was able to attain an every man but again keep in mind and this is a, a a theme that we touched on in the first episode looney tunes predate the Hayes code right so right so they you know th- this is exactly that point that i'm talking about that it's very convenient to look at it now and say oh even back then even back then but the real truth is yes back then because we had not allowed the wall of you know gender normative practices to be built yet and block out culture that didn't fit that that didn't fit that box and so i think that the more you go back the more you see that Progressive is not the right word because progressive would tend to to make everything be on one linear line. It's not. It's it's a circle, and it always has been. And and the fact that people most people don't see it that way means that they did such a good job of keeping it out. But Bugs and the Looney Tunes characters were around before that. Yeah, that yeah. I, I'm I'm just kind of enamored by like what you're talking about because again, we've all obviously grown up in the within a culture that the Hayes Code did have massive influence on. And, you know, we still, I mean, it's, I feel like it's only recently, you know, within the last 20 or 30 years have some of those Hayes Code, like that era really kind of totally faded away. Uh, You know, you could see a lot more on television now than you could have even, you know, a decade ago, 20 years ago, 30, obviously, you know. Um, So you have this whole conversation about like what was and wasn't considered normal has shifted so much and changed so much and 
it, it, we'd be a, possibly a lot farther ahead on that had you know the Hayes Code not existed. I think it's really fascinating. Something I have not really thought about, like the hitting, the hiding of cultures, yeah. you know, subcultures. Right. How purposeful it all was. Yeah. You know? But despite all of that great history for bugs, he couldn't beat the Queen Chismosa. He just. <laughs> it's true. She's wicked. Uh, <laughs> all right. So Maleficent moves on. Now, Maleficent will face off against either Sebastian the Crab from Little Mermaid or He Man, Master of the Universe. Joe? Sebastian. Um, Sebastian, I, I say that really loudly only because, like, as I said in the previous episode, I have never seen, I know nothing from about He-Man. Um, I'm actually surprised. I think Skeletor is in He-Man. I'm surprised Skeletor is not here. Um, but, but yeah, it's, it's Sebastian. I mean, meddling where, you know, do, supporting his, like, straight girl best friend, like we can, I can identify with that. I know Joshua can like, uh, no, I have no <laughs> idea what you're talking about. Um, <laughs> but it's Sebastian for me as well. Thank you. He man, you, 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 you worked the hell. And I do mean that W E R Q work worked the hell out of that page boy cut, but you got to go. Yeah. So Sebastian stays. All right. Sebastian, the crab moves on for a, Elite Eight Battle with Maleficent. We have a tough one now, though, Joshua, for you to start off a tough one as Cogsworth, Cogsworth from Beauty and the Beast goes up against Peppermint Patty from the Peanuts. Oh, no, that's Peppermint Patty for me. That's easy for me. Because he went with the lesbian, like went in yeah, doubt. Yeah. And I'm just, yeah, I, yeah. Well, we'll we'll talk. We'll see how the conversation goes. Okay, but. yeah, I don't know. I don't think Joe's going to agree with you, Joe. No, Cogsworth is me. I identify, I mean, I identify very much as a Cogsworth. I am a, I am a Cogsworth son. I'm a Lumiere rising. And I'm... <laughs> Oh, I'm dead. I'm just dead. dead, deceased, <laughs> dead and dying. I am a Cogsworth son. That's amazing. I am a Lumiere rising. And then whatever the wardrobe is, that's my that's my moon. <laughs> the the closet. Um no, for sure, Cogsworth. Just because, like, again, I can if you know, you Cogsworth is the ultimate like gay in a headset, right? It's like I need to do like doing things. Like there's all anytime you're at like a a big function or a play or something, there's always a gay in a headset that's making things run. That that's Cogsworth. So so Marissa. <laughs> Marissa, you're back on. I am so like overwhelmed with love for Cogsworth in this moment and the gay in the headset uh, metaphor. Yes. Um, but I have to go Peppermint Patty. I'm sorry. <gasps> oh, lesbians sticking together. Look at you. <laughs> Why don't you go oh, to wait, her window? Oh, she she taught me. Was, <laughs> she told me Birkenstocks are okay. Yeah. So let's let's eulogize Cogsworth then because he obviously deserves it. Again, gay in a headset. They make the world go round. They've, they, this has been a tough year for gays and headsets, especially with the closure <laughs> of theater and Broadway. Um, but, but yeah, I mean, like it's, 
I have uh, speaking in, intensely personally about like being that person who's like, guys, we shouldn't go in there. Guys, we shouldn't do this. We're going to get in trouble, this, that, and the other, um, which is Cogsworth. So like immediately identifying with that and, but like also like still going along and having a great time and, and yeah, so RIP Cogsworth. Um, also, shout out to my friends, um, my friends Anthony and Eric. They're they're also they're Disney gays. They have like a working Cogsworth clock <laughs> that's in their house, which is really which is really cool. So really just cool. shout out to gays. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Joshua's upset because I mentioned gays on the podcast. <laughs> All right, and speaking of lesbians and sensible footwear, the next matchup is Xena Warrior Princess versus Elsa from Frozen. Joshua? Ah! Wait, isn't Joe first this time? Oh, is it? No, I went first last time. Oh, wait. No, 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 no. Joshua, you did, because you voted Peppermint Patty first. Yeah, Joe, it's you. Oh, uh, (laughs) wow. Um, (laughs) I mean... I really, I really want to say Elsa. I really want to say Elsa, but like, well, here's the thing. I want to say Elsa because of just her individually. If I was to say, if I was to say Xena, it's because of the relationship with Gabby. That's the only reason why I would say Xena. Um, so I'm going to say Elsa. <laughs> so into the unknown, Elsa. Dismantling, dismantling her her colonial heritage. Um <laughs> um i'm going with xena so sorry lucy lawless all the way come on and right even on her own you know she's still like if i'm yeah yeah if i if if like my heart gets broken or something you know i'm calling lucy lawless i want i want her to be on my side now marissa i must implore you i must implore the court to not take into not into take into consideration however much you may loathe the amount of times you've had to watch frozen (laughs) or 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 hear the songs from frozen uh being a mother of children Um, yeah. so do not take that into consideration. Okay. I do want you to take into consideration that, that, that that's Joe's concern. He's reducing you to your relationship with motherhood and your children and that all of your decisions are clearly made in that way. Well, do I keep you, that in it? mind. Joshua, how dare you? <laughs> Joe, that's all I am to you as a mother, right? I'm either a, a maiden, a mother, or crone. Why do you think? <laughs> Yes, you are Hecate. You embody the three faces. I'm just excited that I've almost like ushered my way into the witch phase, that I'm almost out of the mother phase. I feel like I've made it, y'all. I've made it. You have. Um, shit, this is hard. So full disclosure, I absolutely adore the Frozen movies. I probably, like at this point, probably sing those songs more than my kids do. They're like too cool for them now. Um. Oh, fuck. I'm so sorry, but to no one's shock, I've got to go Xena because I agree. I think Lucy Lawless and I love Elsa. I really do. I think she's such a great par- character. My daughters were in love with her just like her for years. I was always team Hans, which says a lot about me and my, my toxic relationships in life. I'm sorry. It's okay. Um, but yeah. Elsa... You were great. You were an ice princess. Um, I remember watching the first Frozen and thinking like, 
it's like the man they saved each other they didn't need a man to save them the true love was with her sister you know her sister you know in quotes is what i said um but yes i i can't wait for frozen three or whatever incarnation we get um with disney plus but um i'm I guess Lucy Lawless lives to, you know, throw a circular boomerang, (laughs) whatever it is again, one more time. And so our number one seed falls, our first one of the tournament, Xena Warrior Princess and Pepper and Patty later on. Get ready. Get ready, you guys, because that's going to be rough. There's going to be bloodshed. All right. Going over to the next side of the bracket for our Sweet 16, we have SpongeBob SquarePants, also a number one seed, going up against Elphaba, the Wicked Witch of the West. Joshua, the Wicked Witch. Um, <laughs> I, I mean, I'm very ignorant of like SpongeBob. I don't know. Maybe I guess. Do I find like SpongeBob offensive? Maybe I don't know. We'll get into that. But yeah, I'm going with uh, okay. Wicked Witch. Yeah, that's interesting. Joe, yeah, I'm curious to hear more. I, I'm, I'm picking the Wicked Witch only to hear Joshua <laughs> eulogize the offensiveness oh yeah, of SpongeBob yeah, yeah, SquarePants. Joe, you're giving the listeners what they want right now. I love on, it. On the same network, <laughs> mind you, on the same network, mind you, as Ren and Stimpy, which was insanely more offensive like i don't I, i'm i'm just i'm me too i'm here for yeah, this let's hear it but like yes obviously it's going to be alphabet so okay so alphabet moves on but joshua tell us why spongebob offends you <laughs> i don't know i guess it's maybe more of just like i don't know he's annoying um he is annoying. No, I, he is annoying that is this such is, a gay reason it's like right. he's annoying i hate him yeah, he is he's annoying he's very like you know he's always making messes of things it's just awful like who wants that in their life um i have no interest in being friends with um spongebob um but you're friends with me and i'm a mess i make a mess of things all the time <laughs> Yeah, but no, Joe, if you have Cogsworth tendencies, then it's a different mess than Spongebob. Like, I remember a a literal academic article from like a psychology journal that was, this is maybe 10, 15, maybe even 20 years ago, that was saying that Spongebob, and I, and I never, I never like these like, you know, Beavis and Butthead are, are causing adolescents of America to do a certain thing, because I think it gets dangerous. But um, even though, gosh, when you think about today's cancel culture, that's like downright quaint, right? But anyway, that's right. I put uh, my shirt on my head and was Cornholio of my own volition, not because oh. Beavis and Butthead did it. Oh, I know, Marissa. I know you were Cornholio. <laughs> um, but but anyway, jo- Joshua, there was an uh, an article I read that was like in Psychology Today that like SpongeBob was giving young children permission to push boundaries of annoyance and like subverting the children are to be seen, not heard tradition that we all grew up under. Right. Um, Is that like Caillou? (laughs) I hear a lot of hate towards Caillou. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe that's the same thing. Is Caillou really annoying? I don't remember. He's the bald one, right? That, that little kid could go pound rocks. (laughs) Wow. Marissa hold back a little bit. Why don't you? Can he really pound rocks? Is he a real shrewdy? I don't have the pulse on the youth anymore. Who is Caillou? He's this little bald shit who is arguably. <laughs> this is amazing. Yeah. What, well, what what show was he on? Caillou. Caillou. Oh, okay. It was an eponymous Nickelodeon okay. show. <laughs> eponymous. <laughs> Word of the day. And I also. 
also like the the SpongeBob characters as the seven deadly sins. Each character represents one of the seven deadly sins and is secretly like trying to be super religious. It was a fascinating theory that went along with the psychology. Degree. What did um, SpongeBob represent? Sponge. So SpongeBob was lust. Um, Patrick, <laughs> his like doofy little friend, was sloth. Um, the little crab who loved to make money was greed. Uh, the guy across the street who wants to plankton, who wants to be Mr. Krabs was Envy. Yeah. yeah. No, Wrath was um the angry what Squidward. Squidward um, was Squidward. Wrath. Yeah, Squidward. <laughs> and then the only gluttony was the the little pet. And then the only one I didn't understand was the chick, the squirrel with the helmet was Pride. That one didn't add up for me. But the other ones are pretty spot on. I gotta be. Well, you gotta shoehorn it in somehow, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Um, right. No, she was she always was braggy, right? And like she could beat everybody at everything. I mean, I've watched a little SpongeBob she, recently because of the twins like it, but um, sure. But Joshua, I I thought I was hoping you were going to get into whether or not SpongeBob belongs on this list at all. There's none of that though. Uh, well, I mean, I do wonder about it. I know that I think Nickelodeon again is like explicitly like put like um, SpongeBob in with some other queer, so like as either an ally or like I know it gets a little blurry. Um, you know, I don't know. I just. I guess yeah, I just don't really care for SpongeBob. Um <laughs> general, which is, you know, again, I'm being very personal. I said that at the beginning, like I'm just personally attacking these people, uh, these characters. <laughs> the other thing is, is like this is something I'm trying to like kind of keep in mind. I guess maybe when we get into the final, you know, group, we can kind of um interrogate a little bit more of like, you know, some of the 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 stereotypes, some of the reasons that the characters are considered queer. And so I think when it comes to SpongeBob. Like my queerness is just like horrified at that at whatever it is that people are like. Oh, obviously SpongeBob is like right, right, right. I'm, so and I'm not really sure. SpongeBob I'm not exactly sure out. why. Oh, he did. Yeah, SpongeBob. As of June uh, last year for Pride, SpongeBob Nickelodeon officially identified him as a member of the LGBTQ community, and Patrick was also identified wow. as gay. Yeah, but is so, that, that um, the ultimate pandering? Because on what premise? On the premise that like. They're, they're in love, Joe. Don't this is the question. <laughs> love is love, love is love. You're right. I'm sorry. Well, I, well, like uh, it's it's it's. Don't apologize. It's, it's important. Like that it's is that retcon. It's that retconning of like, and this is where this is where we get queer baiting, right? It's like right. no one really asked for it. Like, uh, you know, I'm uh, like all I'm going to say, Joshua, is that I think you 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 chose. I think that you forgot, or maybe you don't know, that the SpongeBob musical um, had songs written by Cyndi Lauper. So, you know, I... A song. No. <laughs> That's not enough. Cyndi Lauper should write all the songs. Right. For He's everything. Not, SpongeBob is not one Cyndi Lauper song annoying. He's... Right. Yeah. That's not enough. I mean, um, like, there's a reason why, like, there's a reason why we're not talking about Dumbledore, right? Is because, definitely. like, there was really nothing about in the films or in the original films or the novels that, like, was even hinted at a queer coding. It was, you know, J.K. Rowling and all her turf wisdom, BS, you know, come mierda, uh, just... <laughs> For yeah. for all our for our listeners in Cuba, um, <laughs> oye caballeros, uh, yes, <laughs> but like that's the thing is that like there, it, like it's a, I appreciate it and it's more it's definitely for those fans 
who do but like it's unless you're going to actually deal with the subject matter in the show in a very meaningful way it doesn't really serve anything other than like oh and by the way you know He's spongebob now has sponge. a float yeah <laughs> right okay but joe can i gotta i have a very serious question about dumbledore though okay because this how how do you reconcile the fact that i like when a character is ascribed a a what a traditionally more marginalized sexuality without the any kind of prejudiced or um you know a very baseless trait having been prescribed to them previously to to send a message that um you know sexual orientation doesn't need to come with anything you know what i mean like how do you achieve that without i don't i totally first of all i totally agree with you about jk rowling and dumbledore but the sentiment of like no this character is gay well here's so here's so on that note here's the thing not by not mentioning it sooner or having it be more explicit sooner you there's like a whole wealth like Dumbledore kind of exists as this like you know for lack of a better term magical character where he's just like this wealth of knowledge and one of the reasons why the seventh book is so or you know the Deathly Hollows is so beautiful is that like it with the death of Dumbledore, you start to see his like his cracks, like, oh, Dumbledore had this and he had a sister that was like hidden away and this and the other. He had this like, you know, relationship with Grindelwald and what the Scamander movies, you know, Fantastic Beasts with, you know, Eddie Redmayne twink. Um, he this you're they're, they're exploring that now like you can see like you know jude laws all jude laws dumbledore is all like i can't i can't go against Gwendolyn. and it's like oh yeah because you know your blood is entwined and you have you're like secretly harbor feelings for him but like wouldn't that have been so much more added so much more depth to dumbledore in the original books instead of trying to do that now and also like you what if he was able to like use that struggle in a meaningful way to help Harry along? Um, but might we have considered it queer baiting if it just popped up for out of nowhere? I don't see the other thing too, is that like, you know, JK Rowling is this ghost that haunts, like is going to haunt the franchises forever. It, <laughs> yeah, like, it's and, a bad example for that reason. Right. Right. It's like, if this was, if it was anyone else, if it was Octavia Butler, maybe if it was someone who is like, who is um, loved and has not revealed themselves to be this like awful human being, um, it would be another thing. But like, because it, it just is it was such a very flip thing um for her right. for her to say when she said it and i'm like dumbledore is gay i'm like okay right but like right right who gives I, a shit i do i agree i do want to get to a world where like these things don't matter you know like we're like i want to walk through the world as a queer person um but being understood that i'm this multitude of things you know and that like just like everybody else like you know quote unquote normal like what is defined as normal like i don't go around you know, I don't define you all as straight people by the fact that, you know, you sleep with a woman and you sleep with a man and like, that is who you are. Like that, you know, I mean, the, the, the whole con, like these conversations, you know, in this existential, like larger discussion are so ridiculous. <laughs> you know, of course we want to get to a realm where it's just like, Alba's Dumbledore, Dumbledore is gay, like who cares, you know? Um, 
blah, blah, whatever, you know, but because we live in a society that is the way it is, um, I, I don't, I, I, it is kind of gross to just throw something out because I feel like part of JK's thing was just like trying to like make a comment like, well, Dumbledore's gay. So there you go. Like do, right. do, deal with that straight people, um, you know, misogynists and homophobes, you know, it wasn't coming from a place of real, like, um, at least in the the books that I read, like I never read, I didn't read any of those characters really as queer. Um, personally uh, but I also read those books when I was much older and kind of was looking at them in a very different lens you know and that's why it's weird when it's like also not I don't know this is why this gets so messy because at the same time if it's not like a humanoid character or a human character I don't know if I really care who they want to have sex with <laughs> and that also adds a strange layer that's why like the Spongebob conversation is odd because it's not a person really you know um right. it's an anthropomorphized the... sponge <laughs> yeah yeah but when we talk about like learning I was just having this conversation the other day about like how like all queer people at least my you know my age most of us learned about sexuality, sensuality, by watching straight people engage in it on television and internalize that. What does that mean when you're a queer person and you look at like how, how a man behaves with a woman? Like we're learning a lot of that too. We're watching that and like, what does that mean when you're queer and you're learning from like heterosexual relationships? So to have human queer characters that are having those same sort of complex things, like where you can, where you also get the opportunity to learn about queerness and queer sexuality, um, I think is also is important, you know, because we, uh, sorry to the straight people, but like straight culture, heterosexuality is so toxic. There's a lot of toxic, you know, misogynist ideas and things that we've internalized too as queer people. And then we all spend our lives straight, gay, whatever, like unpacking and trying to unlearn like a lot of toxicity. That's why Disney is so dangerous sometimes because right. the nonsense it teaches. Yep. Um, so again, I, I'm just trying to say that like, yeah, I would like to get to a place where it doesn't matter, but it does for so many other reasons, but I don't care right. about a character like SpongeBob. I think that's what gets at the offensive part. Like, it's like, oh, SpongeBob is gay. Well, he's not a person. Like, as a human boy watching that, what am I learning about queerness? And what am I learning about a hu being a human walking through the world? That's, yeah. a, that's a really good point. That's actually... Thank you, Joshua, for sharing that because yeah. that was. Yeah. But it's but it's also uncomfortable because we're talking about children, you know. So it's like right. I'm trying to explain like how our sexualities develop, and they do. Like you cannot separate all of that from a highly sexualized culture. So there's a lot more to like think about in the way our psychology develops. Joshua and Joe, you both laid that down in in such an astute and articulate way. And if you're tired of talking about it from a socio-political, socio-emotional standpoint, just put it in a weird bracket and make cartoon characters fight it out, as we will do now when we put Jafar, a number three seed, who beat Timon and Pumbaa in the first round, up against Ren and Stimpy. Jafar versus Ren and Stimpy, Sweet 16 matchup. Joe, you start. Oh, God. This is, this is actually really hard. I, I, I think based on the conversation that we had about Ren and Stimpy in the last round, I I'm going to go Ren and Stimpy in this one um, only because like, like weirdness, <laughs> like queer in the queer as the definition of like being strange um, really also applies to Ren and Stimpy. And I watched a lot of like Ren and Stimpy secretly when I was a kid. Um, so I'm, I'm going, I, it's very subversive. I'm, I'm going to go Ren and Stimpy. 
Uh, I'm going to go Ren and Stimpy as well. Um, I think their relationship is, I don't know, it's it's very interesting to me. Um, you know, Jafar is cool. Uh, you know, we can eulogize Jafar. Like, I, I, I he's, he's evil as shit. Uh, looks amazing in his little, you know, turban and his whole outfit. Mm-hmm. And he's got a parrot that talks, and that's Gilbert Godfrey. And it's Gilbert Godfrey. I know. My fucking amazing. dream. The yeah. Royal Vizier, like yes, you know, I don't know how like many that. times I've won at Worlds with Friends with Vizier. <laughs> the Royal Vizier. <laughs> but yeah, Ren and Stimpy, they're a lot of fun. And I watched, yeah, I definitely watched them a lot more than I ever watched Aladdin. This one is going to break your heads off. You ready? Number one seed Ursula versus number four seed Velma from Scooby Doo. Prepare nah. to get your heads roll off your shoulders. This is the whole bracket, folks. Ursula versus Velma. Joshua, you start. Ursula. Uh, sorry. Sorry, Velma. But yeah, Ursula. But we'll see what happens. <laughs> Ursula. Mm-hmm. Mm, okay. I, I, I can't I can't not choose Ursula. <laughs> okay. Mm-hmm. This is not an easy one either. Number three seated Scar versus number two seated Lee Shang from Mulan. Lee Shang. <laughs> Lee Shang all the way. I have to say Scar because I just know Ooh. him better. Ooh. Marissa? Oh, God, I, I'm I'm really torn on this one. So Lee Shang is coming from a place of like, they're reading into, if I understand, like so, Mulan is dressed as a man, right, in the army. Mm-hmm. And, have, and this is her or his, I guess, in the context of, the character understands Mulan as a man, as a soldier, and Li Shang is the whatever the boss. They, I well, don't know what. Yeah. The, what is so Li Shang is the captain of this particular platoon of the Imperial Army in China, okay. and there is like there is a um, a friendship, a kinship that develops between them, but like there is a there's a whole there's a whole section of culture that believes that like Li Shang is secretly coded bisexual because of he is like his attraction to um to attraction to Ping um the boy Mulan um and then subsequently later to Mulan herself as well um so it is revealed and they become a couple but he thought that she was but a man was the whole right. time. And there's that whole thing like when it is revealed like his his disgust in the in the film it's like really apparent that like i it's like his disgust of like oh you were a woman the whole time and like that's just straight up misogyny <laughs> like in general the whole all of mulan is just like straight up misogyny but but like it's that extra layer of that coded layer of disgust of like oh you are a woman i was hoping you were a man or you're confusing me because i am attracted to you but you're a man but now that you're a woman i can be with you sort of thing so there's that complexity of it um in uh bowen yang who's on snl his podcast uh, las culturistas recently had um uh, recently had B.D. Wong on, and B.D. Wong is the speaking voice of Li Shang, um, and He's asked him point queer. who's openly queer, and asked yeah. him point blank what he thought about this entire sub, like this entire subset of people that think that like Li Shang as this like <laughs> as the kind of like uh, queer coded. Uh, 
person for bisexuality. And that's why, like, I'm kind of here. That's why I'm, I'm kind of want to see how far Li Shang can go. Uh, <laughs> huh. So, yeah, and I got four words for you. Donnie Osmond. Yeah. <laughs> Donnie Osmond as the... Sp- so, like, even though B.D. Wong can sing, he did not get... <laughs> the singing voice for Lee Shang, Donny Osmond did. That's kind of fucked up. Yeah, it, it wa- and if you go and listen to that, if you go into listen to that episode of Les Culturistas, B.D. Wong spills tea about oh. the Donny Osmond, um, what happened with the singing voice. So, Oh, I'm going to listen. Yeah. Ooh, yeah, I'm in. Mulan Cheese Man. Okay. Um, so wait, so Joe, you're saying Lee Shang? I'm saying Lee Shang. Um, I feel like I want to change oh. mine now to Lee oh. Shang. I feel like you won me over, like over <laughs> oh. Scar. Um, yeah. that's and also, quite a like conversation happening in Mulan that I'm like am completely oblivious. And then also, like let's let's also celebrate like let's celebrate an Asian character. <laughs> let's yeah. celebrate um, let's celebrate an Asian character. A Asian. Um, a gazian, a gazian. Um, but and the thing with um the thing too with Scar is that like Scar is a lot of these like negative stereotypes about like it's more of the villainy, it's like this primping and you know the the kind of dandy, very much the dandy, the yeah. uh, you know, the fop that's very like this like villainous fop, very um Dorian Gray. Um so Dorian yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so, yeah like, I feel like I'm gonna change, and we'll okay. say Li Shang. I think Li Shang should move forward. All right, now that that sets up the Li Shang Ursula matchup, which we are not gonna tackle right now. We got to leave that for for the right. end. Let, instead, let's do the much the much easier Maleficent versus Sebastian the Crab. We are in the Elite Eight now. We're heading for the final four. It's either gonna be Maleficent or Sebastian. It's to you, Joe. I think. Maleficent. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Same. Maleficent. <laughs> I can't help but think like she caused all this shit because she wasn't invited to a party. <laughs> yeah. It was a quinceanera too. I know a lot of people think <laughs> it was a christening, but it yeah. was it was a quince. It all was right, a quince. <laughs> you should have seen what happened at Aurora's quinceanera. That was that shit was off the hook. Yeah. All right, Maleficent came and she made little sandwiches. She made the little the little paste sandwiches. <laughs> and still, even though she had a whole fucking tray of maduros, they turned her away. You don't want my tostones? <laughs> <laughs> Maleficent showed up with tostones y maduros on one tray. They fucking divided out and they turned her ass away. All right, Maleficent, Joshua, what do you say? Oh, Maleficent. Okay. So Sebastian the Crab, uh, bye-bye. What do, what, do you, what do we think? Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, wonderful. It's, I love that he dedicated his life to helping, you know, young girls look, find their voice, you know? Um, much like, um, you know, Madonna's uh, ballet dancer, or ballet teacher, Christopher, helped her find herself. It's an important role that gay men have played for, you know, centuries. Uh, you know, Liza Little from My Fair Lady. You know, mm-hmm. every Ariel is a Sebastian. It's it's an important role. Yeah, yeah. Um, so we love Sebastian's contributions to um, you know, selfish entitled. 
I've seen princesses. <laughs> All right. So Maleficent is is in, right? You guys, we, we decided yeah. we both okay. Maleficent Maleficent in the final four will face off against either Xena or Peppermint Patty. <laughs> I'd like to All see right. this battle in real the life. lesbian battle. Of oh my god, I Joshua, like this is to, this is oh, to okay. you, Joshua. <laughs> this is the mashup we deserve, y'all. Yes, this is it. Really is. Yeah, this is why I won't see like Peppermint Patty wandering up to Xena, like, "Hey, Chuck." Hey, Chuck. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right, amazing. Demands um, that Xena invite her to Thanksgiving. I'm Joshua, here. you're friends with both of these types of lesbians. <laughs> True. Um, they are part of my you know, tribe. Damn. I and see, and they both have because you know you have Zena and you have Pepper and Patty, and then you have is Marcy and Gabrielle, or what's her name? Yeah, 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 yeah Gabrielle. Gabrielle. Mm-hmm. Like uh, they also equal, have like equal like yeah, yeah, yeah partners that I mm-hmm. also enjoy very much. Right. Um, see, yeah, that's a good call. I didn't think do. about that's that. That's such a good call. Yep. <laughs> you know, it's so hard. Ah, damn it. Um, Gabby has eyes. You know, whereas Marcy does not. That's true. She just says white, like, you know. Um, <laughs> I'm going to go with Xena, and we'll just see oh. how the fallout happens. Oh. Wow. Wow. I'm, go- no. I'm, going, I'm going with Xena because oh I want a character that projects strength. And- oh, my God. And not to say that like Peppermint Patty doesn't project strength, but like Xena is a literal warrior princess. So bye-bye. Oh. Bye-bye. Entire <laughs> higher education academic <laughs> departments just closed down on that choice. They just they they just completely closed down. Well, why Patty? Why Peppermint Patty? So oh my God. Oh, okay. oh my gosh. Both of you are like, oh. So I'm just gonna say that like as as a girl who grew up with very I hate to even use the word but like tomboy tendencies and was very much often coded in certain ways by society because of it I always liked peppermint patty and I know she was rude especially in the Thanksgiving special there's just no justifying her behavior yeah there's no but one of the things I will say is that (laughs) from if I may put my feminist jersey goals hat on for just a moment let me hold on let me dust it off um she never like I always like love the idea that like sometimes it's okay for a woman to be rude sometimes it's okay for a woman to be upfront. we I feel like we're so constantly telling you little young girls still to this day you know like it's better to be a bitch and be alive than be polite and be dead and like you know trust your instincts and you don't owe the world anything and being a bitch is something to fucking own so peppermint patty to me really stood for that and even though I think she was very much like coded and a lot of people like put that relationship between she and and marcy on that level i think it was nice to see a character who i thought really kind of felt representative of girls like me growing up yeah yeah no that's really well said marissa i think at the end of the day you guys made the right choice if only because i think that xena um there was i think there's a level of authenticity and embracing by the by the by the queer community that xena had that Peppermint Patty didn't. But I remember when I was a kid, the big question was like, is Peppermint Patty a girl or a boy? And while that seems innocuous by today's standards, the fact that that was a question spoke to the idea of gender fluidity in a way that we didn't get a lot of exposure to in that particular time culturally. So I I also know that Schultz fought for Franklin, uh, right. for including Franklin in the, thanks, in the Thanksgiving special. I know that Schultz fought um, television executives, particularly CBS executives. There's a really great book out now 
about Charles Schultz and, and the fights he won for peanuts and the fights he lost for peanuts. And, he, and some of the fights that he won were about the inclusion of both Peppermint Patty and Franklin, um, though they did not fit the, you know, corporate uh, big TV station model of the time for kids programming. And so, you know, I, I, I hesitate to give Charles Schultz too much cred because, you know, I don't know what else his politics were at the end of the day, but I, 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 I think that there's something heartwarming about that at a time when it was so absent. So, but I think you guys made the right choice. I think Zena stands, I think Zena needs to be in the final four and she is. All right, let's move on to the other side of the bracket. We have the Wicked Witch. This is going to be a funny one. We have the Wicked Witch of the West, Alphaba versus Ren and Stimpy. Oh, shit. Ren and Stimpy. Wow. Ren and Stimpy. Uh, yeah. I, I, so I did say, like, I want strength projected forward. And, of course, you know, Alphaba, yes. Um, Wicked Witch of the West um, from original film, you know, sort of yes but not so much um but again like I, I i like the idea of like having also representation of like queer is weird like queer queer as like uh expression of weirdness and i think having red and Stimpy there would be um would would help with that and it would be fun to see whoever they go against next um i know it's chaos magic wanda I'm, it's, it's just chaos it's chaos I love it. okay i wasn't expecting that joe that's great joshua there's part of me like you know there's like a reading of uh ren and stimpy that you know if they're if they're a queer couple um that is a horrifically violent situation for, <laughs> for stimpy yeah he's um you know uh ren is very violent you know mm -hmm. and very cruel and mean and you know and you you think like oh gosh if they're in a relationship like I don't know. Maybe that's the most like th this conversation about like queer life. It's like we're not immune to, you know, all of the, you know, all the other social ills, you know, like our relationships reflect, all, you know, any any terrible thing and any great thing about relationships. Um, so part of me is kind of sitting here thinking about like that aspect of if they're a queer couple like, wow, uh, DV, uh, we need to have a conversation. Um, but the Wicked Witch of the West, I mean, geez, she's she's really not nice either. <laughs> wow. um, Did we really just say that Ren Hoek is worse than the Wicked Witch of the West? I know, right? I, you know, I don't he know. He's the like, Wicked Chihuahua of Outer Space, boy. He is bad. I'm also thinking of, like, that description of, like, you know, the Wizard of Oz, like, young girl goes to foreign land, meets some strangers, and they band together to murder another stranger. You know? Right, so right. It's like... <laughs> It's so like, ah! Have, have um, you guys, before you vote, to maybe add some drama to this, Joshua, have you guys read Wicked, the Gregory Maguire novel? novel? Years ago, yeah, I did. Um, okay, so I have a very, like, I have a question about, so the the fact that he goes to explicitly uh, ascribe, is that might even be the right verb, um, parts, right, organs to Alphaba, how does that change identification of, of how you would describe her from an orientation standpoint? Where it doesn't, or it does, or we don't know, or because um, right, because I'm to say it very bluntly, do, doesn't she have both sets of organs, sets of sex parts? She's an intersex character. I, I'm I don't remember if he's doesn't he say that specifically, or does he say she only has male parts? I don't I don't remember. 
gosh, I feel like, man, you're, um, I mean, Marissa, I thought you would, I thought you would remember. So, uh, I feel like you're, you are hitting on like a memory. She, I believe she's asexual. I I don't know. I I don't remember. I know she has, all right. So I'm going to be really, I know she has a penis. Right, she does have right. I I would references her penis. Right, as part of like her overall, and like there's also the scene with the, for lack of a better term, an orgy in the book with every character of human and animal and everything. Yeah, well, there's the right. There's the sex with the animals. Right, right. right, So I mean, really, if you're gonna go down the road and look at the book, the book is definitely it's not even queer coded. Right, because do they imply that the monkeys are like born of her in a way, right? And that 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 yeah, it gets weird, dude. And not only so, if she births the monkeys, then she has to, and not to be gauche, but she has to have a vagina, then, right? So then she has both parts, right? So is she just representing this like universality of sex? Is she just the most, was he trying to just build the most fluidly sexual character? Well, I think that's part of it. I think like gender is completely deconstructed in that novel and rebuilt. Except Dorothy. I think Dorothy is meant to have like a very- Well, she represents, right? She represents like cisgender. Middle America. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you remember being very incensed that I felt the musical was, had really washed, you know, a lot of it away? Because I remember the book being extremely like passionate, like politically and it had some very interesting ideas that I think, you know, again, you're making a musical, you got to kind of scale back a little bit. But I did just read the passage that, yeah, there is a whole argument when she's born, when they're born, Elphaba, about whether, like, whether um, they're a boy or a girl, there's a whole conversation between and they can't tell. So yeah, huh, I don't know. She does. Yeah, she's born. Yeah. Hmm. Wow. I need I should reread that book. Um, I know. I'm like, now I'm like, oh, Jersey Ghouls Book Club put it on the list. I think I have a copy of it still. Oh my gosh, I do. <laughs> I know you do. Oh, you have, yeah. yeah. Uh, the, the West Craven Memorial Perfect. Library comes through. <laughs> just It just appeared when I mentioned it. You know, it grew on the shelf. Now that's chaos. That is magic. chaos magic, Wanda. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you said that like Anakin says, now that's pod racing. Yes. That's chaos magic. Am I being am I being moved towards Alphaba again? Uh, right? It's been so long like, since I've geez. read a book, so I don't entirely remember. Um, I don't retain things the way that Joshua does. Um, I except- didn't retain that. You think I would have remembered? Oh yeah, <laughs> did she have a penis? <laughs> that seems like that would stick out. I'm, no, I'm staying. I'm going to stay with Red as Dippy. Okay. Yeah, I feel like I'm also going to go with Ren and Stimpy. I think there's like a nostalgia. I mean, unless there's like a really passionate. Well, I guess we had it and I wasn't swayed. So we'll move on. <laughs> All right. Ren and Stimpy move on. They beat. Bye, Miss Gulch. Because that's still what I'm considering. This is it. This, I'm going to predict that so goes this battle goes the winner. Ursula, Lee Shang. Do it. Oh, is that where we are now? Shit. Yeah, um, we're in the final four, baby. We're going last entry into the final four. So don't forget that Ursula was based on Divine. And um, mm-hmm. what's his name? Who wrote? Oh, why am I blanking on the person who wrote? John Waters. Like, no, wow. not John Waters. I love that I the wish- straight girl is telling us about Ursula. No, okay. <laughs> <laughs> let me, let me, 
Are you straight explaining Ursula? Let me just straight explain to you guys Marissa, why, why who's she's important. Divine? I don't even know what that means. <laughs> I'm just saying before fuck off. I'm turning off. <laughs> We've been on so many things together. Yeah, yes, we can I'm fuck well with you. Yeah. You are amazing and wonderful. I'm just yes, we love you. We love no, you. No, I love inject, when you fuck with you know. me. Yeah. I can't just fuck with, you know, Costal over there. Yeah, I right. that's no you know. fun. Yeah. Joey, you guys marginalized me on my show to Joey. All right. Um, exactly. So, yeah, but okay. So the divine the divine thing. Can we talk a little bit about, it's time now because we're coming to the end. It is time. What, what's the, what is the queer coding magic of Ursula? Why is she so elevated oh i think joshua can speak more to that <laughs> well we haven't even voted yet so i feel like we have to vote first yeah. okay you're right you're right sorry before we eulogize anyone well is it eulogizing or are we making the case because i think oh. we're at a point now where yeah. like we need i'm like because Okay. I'm about to I'm about to make some gay people upset and advocate for Li Shang. Um, oh, like, see, I'm not. I'm going for Ursula all the way. <laughs> um, so great. So we'll talk about that. Um, okay. Yeah, Ursula. I. You know, I don't know. One. Yes, there is that divine thing. You know, but you don't know that as a kid. You know, when so when I'm watching that as as a kid, and I always like my. The Little Mermaid is one of my all-time favorite Disney movies. I, I don't have many. I, do, I enjoy The Lion King because the music I do think is really fantastic. And I love The Little Mermaid for the same reason. I love the music. I also love Sea Creature, anything. Uh, we talked about that on our show. I'm sure I've mentioned it on others that, you know, I love mermaids. I love, you know, the cephalopoid people, whatever. I can't remember what the term is for what Ursula is. Although she's a squid and not an octopus. I do know that. Um, <laughs> but I do remember just watching that and I always wanted to be Ursula. Like that was the like the character, you know, she had magic powers and she like her song is fantastic. She's so dramatic. She's so, um, you know, just hell bent on getting vengeance against these normies. <laughs> <laughs> and I wanted to kind of save that conversation to see kind of where we end up because of talking about like, because I think we're all, we're coming from like as queer people coming from two different angles when it comes to like the power we've taken from queer coded characters. I think I'm kind of on like this dark side and Joe's like on the light side. And we've kind of always been, that's always been our, our dynamic, you know? So I've- I'm What he's saying is that I am Wanda and he is Agatha all along, okay? I'm not, I mean, isn't she kind of hidden? Like I'm out and proud. I'm like, It was yes. Joshua all along. <laughs> You know, there's just something about like being a destructor of the boundaries around you. And I think Ursula just really represents that. You know, she had a badass castle that was in like a skeleton of a some some dead sea animal, you know. And um, you know, even though she's an outcast and 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 you know, rejected, people still come to her because they need her. And I think about like queer people in general, you know, people hate us. There's people on TV that talk all, all shit about gay people, but they let us do their makeup and their hair. You know, they come to us for their culture, for, you know, everything gets kind of, um, to one extent. Cause I, I, I think that also there's a lot of robbery, obviously of black culture as well by straight white, you know, heteronormative society, but a lot of stuff gets funneled through queers as well. So there's just this sense of power and being both an outcast, but needed, 
you know, that she has something these people want. So Ursula all the way, Joe, you go ahead and can talk about Lee Shang. So <laughs> talking about Lee, so like uh, Joshua came dangerously close to, you know, Scarlet witching me into picking Ursula. Um, <laughs> just like, you know, chaos magic. Um, and it's on his shirt, by the way. This is collusion, Robert Mueller. It, it's on his shirt right there. Um, so here's the thing, Lee Shang, like, I was going to grab my Ursula dolls, <laughs> but I can't reach them. They're too high up. If we're thinking specifically about like, if we're thinking about queer coding, if we're thinking about that, like, let's, let's not, let's not like commit by erasure, right? Like bisexuals have already experienced a lot of erasure in culture and a lot of queer people in their coming out journey have always said like, you know, bi is just like on the way to being one way or the other. So right. yeah. with the conversation about Lee Shang specifically, we, we're kind of complicating that because, and it's also speaking more to like this generation's like current attitudes and this generation's like, you know, generation Z and you know the younger generation's attitudes towards like the fluidity of uh sexuality sexual sexuality sexual identity and gender identity and i think that like that's something that's really important when you're talking about lee shang i will i will say like yes the idea of like the song be a man is like intensely complicated and a little ironic given like who we're talking about but but i feel like it also speaks to the concept of like male friendship like you know the other thing too is that like it's very difficult for like uh, uh straight men and men in general to have other male friends and so in this situation it's like the coding aspect of it is like we've coded him as like potentially bisexual because of he has these feelings for another male character and he takes care of him um there is no Li shang character in the live action mulan they've actually split that up between um, you know, Donnie, I think it's, um, uh, I forget his last name, but he's a, um, he's a martial artist. So he's the captain. And then they actually have a separate, um, a separate character who is the love interest from Mulan. But I, I feel like the, those are important things to also bring to the current conversation. Um, who also thinks she's a man in um, the in the live action, like they, their Mulan is like very much with the other male characters, and it's also, in my opinion, when I watched it, like it, I thought that there was like a similar kind of nod to the potential bisexuality, pansexuality of the love, quote unquote, love interest. But it wasn't so much about like that idea of the love interest was not something that played into the live action Mulan so much as it was supposed to be this like, you know, thing about being loyal, brave and true and being like, you know, girl power and, you know, all of that stuff. And so like the brotherhood between them. Exactly. The like literal that that camaraderie. Okay. And so Just I think point that, of clarification. <laughs> yes. And I think that 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 I think that is very um that's not something that we should erase. So um I don't envy Marissa for making the tie breaking call. Um so that's wow. my case. I both did a great job of presenting those sides. That was wonderful. And you know what's funny, Joe? You, uh, I think this speaks to your point even more is that the song is called I'll Make a Man Out of You. You said be a man, but like that, that even more fits this. I never thought about what that song is, you know, the, if there is a double entendre intended. And I don't know about the sexual orientation of the people who created it. 
Um, and I don't know if that would reveal some more um, truths, but yeah. It's Hollywood. Great. Someone was someone like someone with the same parts somewhere. Right. No, for like. sure. But I, <laughs> I wonder if that was in, in, intentional. So yeah, well, well done, both of you. Marissa, holy crap, you got a job to do. So um, I definitely... I've been really interested in kind of following the whole Mulan thing. And you're right. It, it changed in very interesting and very ways that have been spoken a lot about for the live action one. But I kind of, I've never sat well with this phenomenon that we see so often, this like trope of the gender being hidden and then revealed and then it being uncomfortable and all that. Like, and I have to be honest, I am always here for a villain who is like a social outcast and derives their powers from nefarious, you know, uh, sources when they're socially ostracized and they're different. And just the, the parallel for me, like just Ursula as a character just is so big for me. So I, I have to go Ursula because if we're looking at the characters, Li Shang kind of like, I don't know, that, there's so many problematic elements to Milan for me, both the new one and the old one and so much shit that annoys me. So looking at the characters themselves, Ursula would tear him limb to limb. So I, I'm gonna go Ursula. And it, she's just so delight, like she's delightfully wicked to me in all the, the best ways for people who live on. Like, I think there's a reason why as someone who's always kind of felt marginalized in society, we, like someone like me is drawn to villainy and it's because it's a power we take back from society when society's shunning us. So <laughs> she's so delicious in that way. You just said you're drawn to villainy like Marisa Nogu. Oh, um, I am. I have I have definitely Agatha all along. Our, too, our so. grandmother used to say that about my sister. She's just muttering yeah. at Marisa Nogu. Yeah, she, um, she, but, she would read the cards. But anyway, you know what? Can I add one more thing to your excellent point, Marissa? Howard Ashman. Um, Howard Ashman, and I'm gonna straight explain it now too. Howard Ashman is the is one of the most underrated, unsung heroes of of the ubiquity of Disney of any other human I can think of because the, the lyrics of the little mermaid, Aladdin, beauty and the beast. I mean, and you know, you have the, the great music by Alan Menken that, you know, it wouldn't have worked without him, but it's Ashman's lyrics and the humanity in Ashman's lyrics and the clever just way that life comes, you know, gets illustrated. And, and Howard Ashman, you know, was openly gay, you know, uh, and working in a Hollywood where I don't think he felt comfortable. So I think Ursula was a, a more authentic, it was an authentic voice too. And that's why I asked Joe if you knew anything about the creators of Mulan, because I, I know that Ursula came to life through, what's the name of Ursula's song? Pat you guys? Well, uh, Poor Unfortunate Souls, but also Poor Pat Carroll kills it as Ursula. Yeah, Pat Carroll's great in that role too. But, I love her. you know, Ashman's lyrics in that song were born before the rest, a lot of the rest of the script. Like he, he created that character through that song. And a lot of what you guys are talking about is in that song. And I just think it's, it's, it's genius. And it's such a, it, it's, it's such a, ma there's a magic to being able to do that. And I, I think he was, I'm glad to see her sort of go forward because I love him so much. Yeah, no, I'm huge Howard Ashman, Alan can obviously I love little shop of horrors. They wrote that together. Um, you know, which, I mean, Little Mermaid, you can hear some of those same, you know, influences on the kind of music that uh, they did together. I also think it's interesting that both, it sounds to me that Lee Shang and Ursula have a, um, they each are like reinforcing like gender in in a weird way. Like, you know, Ursula telling Ariel how to be a woman and this Lee Sh this conversation about how to be a man. Oh, I think yeah, that's, that's so good. I think good. it's an interesting, um, 
juxtaposition. Yeah. Mm. That's really um, good. That's a good take. I, I didn't think of it that way, but that's yeah. that's true. So it's weird Ooh, that they that come up good. against each other in this weird reinforcement mm-hmm. of like yeah. g- of gender uh, tropes. Um, but I did uh, real quick. I also wanted to say that I really actually appreciate everything that you were saying, Joe, because it is true. And again, at the end of the day, what we're discussing is like people should be allowed the freedom of expression and the freedom of like freedom from these gender norms, you know, to follow your heart and to fall in love with who you fall in love with, regardless of gender, regardless of class, regardless of race, regard, you know, like we should be, you know, more open sort of characters and people that blur those lines make people very uncomfortable. We just, we don't like it. We want to know that somebody you know, is is fitting a, into a box. And so we don't have enough stories that really explore like, well, I like you. I mean, great, you're a man. Oh, you're a woman, fine, whatever. Um, as long as we can be together and love each other, you know? So I do think that there's something, um, you know, I'll just crack my black heart open for just a second. I was just second. gonna say, and some say Let his one little drop out. Who is this guy? <laughs> Seriously, Jesus. You know, <laughs> at the end of the day, those are the characters we're looking for. You know, that Mulan, you know, again, I, I've not seen it. So I can't really say that I'm, I'm right about this, but getting on that path of like that sort of being the thing, you know, and then like the man around him going, oh, you thought he was a guy this whole time? Well, whatever, now you love this girl and we all just move on. Uh, I think it's cool. Right, yeah, very, just very to toss cool. that out. And I think you just started the introduction to an entire academic work about those two songs. <laughs> no, I'm serious. I'll make a man out of you and um, Poor Unfortunate Souls being in essence the same song with different social intention, you know, with a different thematic like <laughs> bent. It's so true. It's, it's that, that's a, a, a great point. Joe, we take Joshua out of a horror podcast for one episode, and he says we all just need to love each other. Yeah, it's all. Yeah. I'm broken. <laughs> I, I, don't know what, I don't know what I'm going to do now with the rest of my life. <laughs> wow. <laughs> I'm confiscating your Ursula dolls. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> All right, if you want to talk about keeping it light, Ursula moves on to the final four to face Ren and Stimpy. <laughs> okay. I'm still committed to Ursula. I mean, <laughs> I think the word you're looking for is consecrated, and that's like years of CCD. Like, yeah. we. <laughs> Joe, what are you what are you thinking? I mean, <laughs> Ursula at this point, like Joshua, like Joshua really had me like wanting to go over to his side with uh, <laughs> the Lee Shang stuff, with the Lee Shang Ursula stuff, and I I have to, and then bringing in like yeah, bringing in Howard Ashman into it, like the kind of all of that, and yeah, uh, Ursula, Ursula for this. It's one. interesting to see her weaponize. You know, like when you think about like a queer person writing Ursula and basing her on divine and then weaponizing like that, those sorts of like gender stereotypes and things that obviously have probably been aimed at her to use them against, you know, Ariel and against Triton really and against society, I think is very, that's a delicious conversation there. Yeah, you know? for sure. <laughs> no, and, 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 and I think. And I think it's Ashman, it's his genius that Ursula is so beloved in that. And and Ariel has a lot more humanity than the Disney princesses, I think. Has a lot more transgressive qualities than a yeah. lot of the Disney princesses. And all the all the goddamn best princesses come from Howard Ashman, because Belle's great too. You know what I mean? And like, so that, that mind, what a what a sin that that mind is taken from the earth early. Like what an absolute 
aberration. I blame Reagan. <laughs> yeah, me too. Me too. I do. All right, sorry. Go ahead. We're good. Let's get back on track. So Ursula moves on to our finals. On the other side of the final four, we have Xena and Maleficent. All equally difficult. Uh, why do we do these why do we get involved in this conversation oh my gosh do we have nearly as much to say about these two characters as we did about lee shang and ursula like <laughs> i don't think so um because they're I mean, easier to quantify in kind of a uh you know in a very it's baseless but it's it's an easier characterization i guess is the right word yeah I mean, you know, obviously Xena is far more heroic, um, but I don't know. Now we have all this backstory of Maleficent, you know, and you just feel for her. Um, so I, again, like what, you know, are we going to say Xena? Obviously Xena is only one thing. Xena exists as the show, it, uh, it, you know, that happened. Whereas Maleficent, we can either say, okay, well, we're going to look at 19, what is it, 40 something? Sleeping Beauty? I don't know. Um, Joe, come on. Where, what year did Sleeping Beauty come out? It's like it's like in the 50s, I think. Yeah. Oh, is 40s it? or okay. 50s, yeah. Whatever. Um, <laughs> you know, so we're going to talk 59. just like... Okay, there we go. So that like Maleficent, or if you're considering kind of like the whole arc of what we got after... Um, <laughs> I don't know. Um I mean, I feel like I'm really coming for, I think that, okay, so here's the deal. When we're talking about queer coding and we're gonna talk about the effects of queer coding, then I think that the, it really is in the villains. You know, the conversation is about the villains. So I, I, think, I think with that in mind, I'm gonna say Maleficent because I do think that that's where the conversation is rooted in, in villainy and how that has affected how generations of straight children watching Disney films grew up thinking about queer people um, and how we grew up thinking about ourselves. That, you know, for the most part, when you look at these stories, it is the villains that we have, you know, not only were they kind of seemingly created for us, but even if they weren't, we have taken them in and made them part of queer culture, you know, by attributing, our own stereotypes about ourselves, our own internalized thoughts and feelings, and also what the straight world has put on us, and we have re-empowered it. So with that, I'm gonna say <laughs> Maleficent. <laughs> yep, again, really well said, Joe. Maleficent. <laughs> I, 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 don't, I don't really, I've never really watched Xena. Um, and so, you know, you choose the one that, you know, choosing the one that, you know, better. Plus I, I agree with Joshua. I think there, I think there's a, a further conversation to be had about like villainy and I mean, in, and especially with this portrayal to queerness. So yeah, Maleficent. That's yeah, I, I, I can definitely see, see that. And I think you do, you guys do a good job of explaining it. Is it fair to say that Xena and maybe this is her place being so close to the finals that she was embraced by the LGBTQ community at a time when options were very limited and right. Like, did she give, did she give a, uh, did she give a perspective and a, and a hopefulness to a certain person who didn't have a whole lot else to, didn't have a hundred streaming services or the internet 
to rely on, right? Or, or I guess there was the internet, right? Maybe I'm, I'm putting Xena back too, too long ago, or I don't no, know. I mean, was I definitely, I, 90s, it wasn't right? like it is now. I mean, yeah. Obviously. Uh, so no, I think that's a good point. Um, hmm. It's also yeah. peak 90s lesbian culture. Yeah. Like is right. Xena. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I think there is something fine. to be said about that, about like night about the nineties, about like the girl power movements that we saw, music, Lilith Fair, things like that, where there was this sort of um, you know, important conversation about the role of women in art. Um I mean, again, a, a renewed conversation because <laughs> in, in all art you find women at the, you know, at the at the forefront and the vanguard uh of it. Um uh, so yeah, I think there's something to that effect. I also think, again, Lucy Lawless, gorgeous, you know, so there is a fetishizing of her, of her body by straight men, by lesbian women, by people in between. You know, I certainly, growing up, she was definitely one of those people that, like, the Xena character was a little, like, confusing in a way you know for me I, you know and i I'm, I'm sure we could find other queer men that might you know feel the same way um again lucy lawless now i mean she's a badass you know sleep with badasses if consensually <laughs> i love how she goes for kevin sorbo on, on twitter and he's just like fuck it you know i i really i i think i have a lot of respect for her all right, so we are at our finals, but before we do that, just to kind of build some tension, we like to do our little send-offs first. So Fright School, guys, I can't thank you enough for this. You guys are so such great sports for coming on here and doing this um, and listening to me ramble on and on about it before we, before we started. <laughs> so all on Facebook, <laughs> lots, lots of long-winded Facebook messages. Before we go, tell us what's coming up on Fright School. Brides. Brides. We're, yeah, we're gonna do some some looking at famous brides in in horror films. So, Ooh. yeah, we're yeah. gonna play with you know the the wedding season, the beginning of wedding season in May. Yes, you know, yes. a May bride. Yeah, James yeah. Whale maybe uh, popping up in that conversation. I would assume. Okay, maybe. <laughs> cool. Are we horror queers? Yes. <laughs> maybe. You'll have to you'll have to w listen to Fright School to understand why that's funny. <laughs> yes, and you can find us on iTunes and Spotify and Google Play and all your podcatchers, all the places you want to look. If you want to have more knowledge on this, uh, you know, or more discussion, or you want to expand your knowledge, I suggest you read Monsters in the Closet: Homosexuality and the Horror Film. So uh, check that out. It is more specific to horror, but you know, lots of things Disney's mentioned. There are there are some other conversations about. Uh, the monstrosity of queerness uh, in film. So, uh, and of course, there's like the celluloid closet, and there are, there are other things. But from a horror lens, from what we do, that's going to be my book recommendation for you, dear listeners. <laughs> awesome. Yeah, and we will definitely link to where you can get that book in the show notes. Marissa, tell us about what's happening over at Jersey Ghouls. Please check us out over at uh, jerseyghouls.com. We are on all your favorite podcast apps. Like, click, subscribe, do all that good stuff. Buy the darn t-shirt. Buy the uh, two left-sided chancletas. Do whatever you got to do to support. <laughs> um, all right. Our final matchup, my friends. Ursula versus Maleficent. Here it is. The big shoe. You did it to yourselves. <laughs> You have no one to blame but yourselves. Yeah, but we all kind of knew this was going to go this yeah. way. Like, I was really pulling for Lee Shang. <laughs> <laughs> I, 
hard okay like i was i had to do it for gaijin culture mm-hmm. i had to do it for you know zennial culture is a generation z culture but we knew this was going to happen um yeah. it, I, you know and so um out of respect for joshua i'll let him go last because <laughs> i think he'll have the hardest time um i mean <laughs> I, I, we've said a lot of a lot of really salient points have been brought up and i think like if i'm going with my gut going with my gut i'm gonna go ursula yeah <laughs> Yeah, Ursula, I just think there's a lot wrapped up in the conversation about gender, about, um, you know, queer coding, you know, obviously there's like the divine, you know, influence, uh, drag culture, um, you know, obviously, you know, Ursula's morphology, you know, her body, like there's conversations there about like villainization, Um yeah, I, I really think that, yeah, I, I also would choose Ursula. Uh, I just think that, again, when you're talking about queer coding and we're thinking about outcasts and weirdness and how we have risen from that, you know, uh, I just think she's a great, great character to have that conversation about, even though it's she does die and that's awful. Does Maleficent die? I guess so. Don't they all die, right, in those, like... <laughs> Disney it's movie. Disney yeah. and they're queer, so yes, they die. Right. Like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, in this in pursuit of power. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah. No. I, yeah. yeah. That's that's an easy call in that in that sense. But Maleficent's awesome. All the characters we talked about. I mean, have had a contribution. I mean, any queer person listening to this probably has a totally different view, and can, and we could get somebody else on here and argue for days and days. All right. Any last any last notes? We um, we're hoping that we see some some real authenticity, some real voices, some real perspectives. You guys did a great job with a very difficult topic, so I really really appreciate it. Thank you so much. Yeah, All I'm saying so cool. is invite the queers to your party, to your quinces, to whatever it is your yeah. bris. Invite them because yeah. hell, God help you. Yeah, because otherwise we'll destroy the sanctity of marriage in your neighborhoods. So. Right. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. Though I have to say that those three fairy godmothers are also read very like you know poly lesbian thruple. you know thruple. <laughs> yeah, I just want to see Maleficent like wandering around like she didn't bring a gift. <laughs> Maleficent's like, oh, she didn't bring any food, but she's the first one up there to the table. Like, right. <laughs> she's packing a to-go plate. <laughs> yeah. Oh, did you see? It? Did I just see her put a roll in her <laughs> purse? Her purse. I was just gonna say, check she's the napkins in her purse. She piled her plate up high and went to get a diet soda. Look, <laughs> look at her. <laughs> That's Maleficent's role. She's just calling everybody out. We just, I think we just. Uh, Joshua, you were talking about doing some more content together. I think we just created a a sitcom based on Disney characters at a quinceanera. I think we I think we had to do it. I That's think. it. Oh my yeah. god! Yes. Boom. The Disney quinceanera. Me Disney. <laughs> <laughs> Until next time, I'm Joe Costell. I admit that in the past I've been a nasty. They weren't kidding when they called me well a witch. But you'll find that nowadays I've mended all my ways Repented, seen the light and made a switch True, yes 
And I fortunately know a little magic. It's a talent that I always have possessed. And here lately, please don't laugh, I use it on behalf of the miserable, lonely, and depressed. Pathetic. Poor unfortunate soul.